Heavy Networking welcomes back John Capobianco in episode 545, Achieving Automated Network State Validation. We went in deep on how to use automation to prove that your network is doing what you want it to do. Okay, on today's episode, we're going to go after some fruit hanging, perhaps a little lower, uh, getting network data you reference all the time and storing it in CSV so that you can avoid the CLI tap dance to find out if, say, a particular trunk link is carrying a particular VLAN, those sorts of things. In other words, this is a lot more straightforward, a bit easier to achieve than that last show that we've recorded with John. So how are we going to do this today? Well, what we're going to talk through is uh, Ansible to get the data, the Genie Parser to structure the data, and then Jinja2 to format the data that we've retrieved. And if you don't use any of those tools and you just threw something, don't, don't be intimidated by this. Again, this is meant to be an easier kind of automation task to accomplish than what we were talking about with John the last time John was on the show. This isn't that hard, I promise. John's gonna walk us through it all. But John, before we get going here, man, uh, first of all, welcome back to Heavy Networking. But then on Twitter, you were talking about suffering from JSON mania. What's going on, John? Well, thanks for having me back. I'm really excited and I'm here for two reasons. One to, you know, hopefully share a little bit of an easier path towards network automation with some real easy wins that your enterprise can benefit from. But two, uh, you know, I've been feverish. I've been having trouble sleeping. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm almost manic with um, sort of like the tulip bulb craze in Holland in the 1600s or the <laughs> right? Beatles yeah. on the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. I see a JSON file and I go, yeah. Right. So I have this affliction that I'm hoping discussing with it. Maybe my wife said the first step is admitting you have a problem and <laughs> discussing this problem with other people that maybe could help you solve this JSON mania. So um, that's where that's where I'm at, man. I, I'm just getting data, 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 and I'm making business ready documents. That's the key. Right. I can't give this JSON to HR or finance or my project management team or the server team or, you know, frontline operators that maybe aren't programmatic yet. But I can turn it into business ready spreadsheets that everybody loves. Yeah. Search, find, filter, sort, pie graphs, you name it. That Excel wizardry over that data that you've scraped from the network. So for those of you listening to John get very excited about JSON um, and you don't have to actually know what JSON is, it's a plain text file that is delimited and it's a key value pair uh, store. So you've got a key and then there's a value after it, meaning your data is structured and a lot of tools uh, that some of which we're going to discuss today allow you to query the network and data that you'd normally see at the CLI, you can pull back in JSON format. And there's a million different ways you can programmatically parse the data in a JSON file and do something with it, which is, John, actually at the core of our discussion today. Now, I use the word parse, and, and one of the things that we're going to be talking about today is the genie parser. So I think a good way to start our discussion is helping people who are unfamiliar with a parser understand what that is. It's a programming idea. It's, it's you know pretty, pretty common out there, but uh, help folks that aren't familiar with a parser understand what it is. Yeah, that's, I think it is the best place to start. So we can parse in programming languages, C++ or down to C or Java or, or, you know, the name, the language. You can parse something like a string. And a string is a series of text, you know, characters in a row. And they're delimited by, you know, a backslash N programmatically to indicate, say, a new line. So I would like to parse that one single line of text, be it show interface status, and I get all my interfaces back and a list of parsable strings, right? 
at the CLI, there's not, what else can, what can you do with that? I can log to putty and then I have it in, you know, text or notepad or something. And maybe I can do a little bit of find and search and filter and things, but it's limited, right? It's, it's raw CLI. It's not structured in any sort of uh, format you could programmatically use. So now what the parsing does Again, and, and, and I've been throwing JSON. We talked about JSON. That stands for JavaScript, right? So JS. Mm -hmm. And it's not Java. It's JavaScript, which they kind of came out at the same time. There's a little bit of confusion around. It's like the Git versus GitHub. So you have to understand that this is JavaScript. And then object, which is probably the most important word in the string there, because it implies it's object-oriented. So that's, that's a newer flavor, you know, in the C++ evolve mm -hmm. C to be object oriented. So you yeah. have methods and functions and calls and different programmatic terms. So, and then the notation, right? That's just the notation or the syntax that that JavaScript object is, is listed in and then in your text file. So the parsing links, it's that bridges that gap and I don't have to write it. The parsers are available to you that automatically take that string of show in status or show inventory or show IP route, and it turns it into that JavaScript object notation, a nice structured, um, repeatable, it's always the same structure, it's reliable, it's an industry standard, it's ISO whatever, it's always going to be in a certain format of key value pairs or lists. It's really made up of two simple constructs a single piece of information or a list of information. Mm -hmm. So the the parser then, um, just reading that back to you, John, it's the thing that's taking apart this string of data, reading what's in there, pulling out the important bits of information because the parser knows how to pull out those important bits of information. That's what it's been programmed to do. And then in our case here, we're talking about JSON. It's representing that data back to you as a JSON blob. Um, a whole group of key value pairs. Exactly. That's exactly it. And now it's like anything else, right? You had, you know, when you're reading that syntax back as a human, you know, a, a curly bracket, I affectionately call them mustaches. <laughs> that means something yeah. in JSON. Uh, a square bracket implies that you're dealing with a list of items in JSON. So, I think one of those key steps, like understanding what a broadcast domain is, right? Yep. Or being able to understand what a next hop is or a default gateway. You have to be able to read JSON, I believe, to be successful moving forward in the networking space, right? This is no longer the, the lines have blurred and I don't want to, you know, I've, I don't want to be the doom and gloom guy like last time, <laughs> but there are some new skills and I believe reading and being able to understand JSON in its raw format is one of those keys to your success in this field. And we're talking about a couple of different things here, folks, that are still haven't really got your feet wet in automation yet, that we're talking about parsing, um, and then we're talking about the result of that parsing being, in this case, JSON. A parser can spit data out in, in a lot of different ways, all depending oh, yeah. on what you're trying to do. So let's not confuse a parser and JSON and, oh, they're related somehow. Not really. It just so happens we're talking about a specific kind of parser <laughs> that we're going to be mentioning a few times in this podcast, the uh, Genie parser, which uh, Cisco is behind. 
And then in our case, what are we doing with the data that the genie parser parses? We're turning it into JSON so that we can reference it programmatically. And we're going to talk about that in more detail as we go. Uh, but John, before we dive into the genie parser specifically, there's another piece of the puzzle here for what you're doing. So let's, let's review the overall task here. What you're doing is you are providing some network documentation in an automated way. The way you're doing that is you're using Ansible to go out, grab some bit of information from a network device. You're then using the Genie parser to parse the data into JSON in our case, and then using a templating tool, Jinja2, to take the data that's in JSON and spit it out in a, in a report that could be a lot of things. In our case, it's a CSV, comma-separated value file. So that's the big high level of what we're doing. And since Ansible comes first, we need to talk a bit about Ansible and what's going on there. I think people know what Ansible is. Let's assume that. Um, but give us the key components of Ansible that you are leveraging to pull that data out of the network. I, I think you've summarized it. And, um, you know, in human speak, and that's what I like about tools like Ansible and um, JSON and, and Jinja too. You know, you can express your intent in human English or whatever language you speak and use the programmatic syntax of if and for and whatever to create that digitally, right? So my goal is to get, could you imagine, just, you know, as a, as a pie in the sky ambition or goal or wish, and, 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 and sometimes it's people on the business who maybe you kind of laugh at their idea, right? Can I get a spreadsheet of the interfaces off of the core? And you kind of go, what? No, like I can get you the CLI show command, but I can't give you a business ready CSV. <laughs> but that's the vision. Can I get a spreadsheet of show inventory, show interface status, uh, show neighbors, a handful of key uh, commands? Okay, man, I got it. But but you can actually take that show command output and make a spreadsheet out of it as long as you only have to do it once because I've done that. It's so painful. You know how you do it and then you're like, okay, okay, I'm going to I'm going to search and replace for this field and stick it stick a comma in there and then you can parse it out that way by right. hand using notepad or something. It's brutal, which is which is really the point. Practically speaking, if you had to do that every day, you never could. Once in a great while for a project, I guess maybe, but what we're talking about is a way that's automated and you can do it every day if you want yeah so to ansible's credit i believe and i didn't do this right if you want to listen to the previous podcast um i i, I entered this in a hot fashion i come screaming in with a change in production that they wanted to automate to meet some goal and i had to learn it and we implemented it and now i've taken a real pulled way back if i could do it again where would i start well i would start using this tool to, to create network documentation, right? My current network documentation or any network I've ever worked in, right? You have an offline copy of your, of your running or startup configs, maybe a historical view of them over time as they've changed. If someone was, you know, intelligent enough to do a show run and capture that in putty and then save it and mark it with the date that it changed, right? There's very limited stuff, syslog, SNMP. We all know the, the history of the tools. Mm -hmm. But Ansible has these particular modules, and I'm going to mention the Cisco ones because that's what I used, iOS underscore facts and NXOS underscore facts, one for my campus footprint, my catalyst, one for my data center, my NXOS. 
Now, you now, said Ansible has these fact modules. Does that mean Ansible created these iOS and so on facts modules for Ansible or uh, for, you know, for themselves, right, I guess? For the or, vendor. or did Cisco create them and kind of add them to the Ansible repository of facts that you can import? Yeah, I'd love to give a high fidelity answer to that. I believe it's a collaborative effort and approach between Red Hat and the vendors or the open source community and the vendors. I don't know what the percentage of development time was or who did most of the heavy lifting, but um, they're certainly endorsed by Cisco, right? Cisco's going to ah. back you up on these things. Well, that, that's actually like... an important part of the formula, John, is if Cisco's cool with this, it's like, oh, you use an Ansible to do whatever? Okay, right. cool. Then And they're aware of the fax modules. They're not going to stand back and go, yeah, don't do that. Do whatever. Um, they're happy to, that you're using Ansible and so on and cool with it. That's good. Yeah. Now, now I haven't opened up a tack against an Ansible playbook yet. That would be quite the experiment. Maybe I'll just do that and see what kind of help I get. I'll go fishing on a an expedit an expedientary tack case um, with a playbook that's not working or something. But anyway, um, why I like this approach is that management likes it, and because it's safe. Operational people like it because it's safe. You're not. I'm not tweaking configs. I'm not pushing config stanzas. I'm not touching the network in any other way. Then if I had a little robot able to log in and run some show commands, do you know what I mean? Like there's no downside. That's that's you're, my why I appreciate it so much. Again, you're What's gathering data. You're, you're right. not pushing configuration into the network in an automated way, which does, right, makes us all nervous. You're just gathering information, which is as safe as logging in with the, at the CLI and running a show command. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and we've heard Cisco allude to this. Your network is a big source of big data, right? Like it, it's it's a sensor in itself. There's MAC addresses and ARP tables, and there's like the rich data in there. If you can get at it, and this is how I'm getting at it. So mm -hmm. it's like four lines of config. I, I name I, I have a an Ansible module. I could I could write it here auditorily on the air. Right, I need a group of hosts, so I target my campus or my core or my distribution or whatever the scope of my target is. I set up some tasks, and the first task is going to be the iOS underscore fax module or the NX underscore fax module. That automatically, what is really neat about Ansible, if you're dealing with fax in this way, it has a magic variable called Ansible underscore fax that stores the result of that fax gathering. So I don't even need to create and declare my own variable hmm. if you're programmatic and can think of it this way. I don't need to say like declare John's fax from the switch and stuff the data into that fact variable that I had to declare. Ansible comes pre-built with the Ansible fax variable that now in that variable, if I printed it to the screen, would be the result of a handful of commands in JSON format. Now your mileage may vary. The NXOS platform actually comes with fans and power supplies yep. and modules, you know, because the actual platform is more evolved. The facts you get out of it are more detailed and, 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 uh, uh, plentiful, let's well, say. You're saying, depending on the platform, the information you get back is going to vary just because the hardware platform itself varies and there's more information there on some absolutely. versus others. Oh, okay. Yes, yep. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Which I guess is important. You're not going to get the same thing back from every device, and that's okay. 
if you did, that would mean the facts are dealing with the least common denominator, the one thing that's common or the, the several things that are common across all the platforms, leaving out some things that could be really interesting. Maybe you have a big investment in a certain bit of hardware and like to figure out from time to time, are all the power supplies up and running or all the fans right. doing their thing, etc. So this isn't a, a negative in my mind at all, John. This is, this is a positive. Yeah. And um, the other thing is that... Uh, Again, so if you followed along, where did I stop in my playbook? It's only like eight, eight, eight or nine lines of code at this point, and I have all the data in a variable. So what do I do with it? Like, what, like what's the next step, right? Okay, so now what, John? Well, now, because I have that data, one, I can run it through a couple of pre-built-in filters. Okay, so a filter is Pythonic filtering. Ansible supports Python filters. So one, I pipe it through the two nice JSON filter and create a file. And then I run it through the two nice YAML filter and create another file. Now the data is no, the same. Python just filter. Ones in, yes. Okay. So we've got Python, the language, and then Python has a bunch of libraries in there that can uh, deal with a variety of different data formats, both reading them and then writing to them. So when you say a Python filter, do you mean... Hey, Ansible, here's a Python script I wrote that's doing a thing. Or is Ansible just calling on Python that has the ability to do some data filtering for you and you don't have to write any scripts yourself? Great question. So the answer is both. You can, it supports a handful of built-in filters. And I think if you go to like, you know, docs.filter.ansible.com or whatever, it lists all the filters. There's IP address filtering, meaning I can represent a Cedar notation and then transform the slash I don't know, slash 24 into 255, 255, 2550, mm -hmm. right? There's those types of filters. I don't need to write that. They come pre-built. It's kind of like the Ansible facts variable that comes pre-assembled with Ansible. It comes pre-assembled with a bunch of nice filters. Now, the Genie parser is, a, is an external filter, right? It's still a filter and it's still Pythonic code, mm -hmm. but I have to put that in a folder called filter plugins, right? Plug these filters into Ansible and make them available to your code. Now, there's another okay, point well, of clarification worth making, John. We're using the word filter. When a lot of people think of filter, they think of mm, like a water filter. Things are being you know, right. removed from the water as it goes through. But that's not quite what we're talking about here. They're using the word filter, but it's more like interpreting, parsing, changing the format of the data in some way. Is that fair to say? You're, you're bang on. It's funny. I, we're on the exact same brain. I love having these conversations with Ethan because... Um, <laughs> He's taking words out of my mouth and thinking <laughs> a step ahead on the chessboard where, where I'm going to move my rook next, right? So, yes, filter. Think of it as an Instagram filter, right? I look through my camera and I see the real world and I swipe my phone over to a, a I don't know, whatever, a fuchsia filter. <laughs> and now my world is filtered through fuchsia. I have this raw JSON data, which is one long string, by the way. I don't want to confuse anyone to think that the data I have back from the Ansible parser, or Ansible facts, I should, excuse me, it's just one long string of JSON. If I want that in a human-readable JSON, I have to run it through, exactly, the filter to nice JSON. And just like the Fuchsia filter, it changes the structure of that data yep. to be in JSON. I no, also they, have another filter, yeah. YAML, that changes the structure of the data to YAML, because not everyone likes to read mustaches and square brackets and commas and blah 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 yaml is is a lot cleaner for my beginners i'm not saying that i reference i reference either i can read you know some of us can read both 
but but you can actually oh, change that JSON to yeah. YAML yeah, just I mean, for readability. YAML is nice because right? it's, it's got that hierarchy, right? YAML gives you that um, you know, indentation that makes it a little more intuitive what you're actually looking at. JSON's a, right. a little flatter. So sh sure. Um, I have a personal loathing for YAML at times just because <laughs> it's so easy to miss a space or a tab or something. And oh, now yeah. It's like, oh, your YAML file's invalid. It's not. I swear it's... Oh, yep. I see it finally. After yeah, you're staring oh, at the file is. for 20 minutes. <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah, but your, so, uh, your, your analogy okay. of an Instagram filter really makes sense. That that brings it home. So, okay, we're, we're filtering the data um, in that context, which now means we're looking at the data and it's being represented in a, in a different way. YAML, JSON, et cetera. Right. Okay, so again, now, okay, great. So I have these, I have the raw data in human readable files. I wouldn't turn that over to... Uh, you know, my colleague in finance or my project management team to go here, hey, guess what? I've got 8,000 lines of YAML for you. Like they don't want that. That's not business ready, right? Now I can program against it and, and certain people can read it and it's valuable to them. But my next step is to then, uh, again, it's just, it's just key value pairs, right? So I cherry pick them and I, and I use, then move that data through a Jinja 2 template. Okay, now this is that other key component. So mm -hmm. Ansible's templating language is Jinja 2, which is, um, it can be expressed a few different ways. Um, I've tried to make the analogy of, remember in kindergarten, you used to fold up paper as small as you could, <laughs> cut little sections out of it, and then I mean, unfold it, and you had a snowflake? I still do that, right? but that, yes, okay. That That's Jinja 2. Right, that that is that is ginger too. Yeah. Or, yeah. or a better analogy is is folding up the paper and cutting out the little benum and stretching it out, and you have a bunch of humans holding hands, right? So, I think the another way to express it would be it's um, a report format that you set up with holes in it in the form of variables that you can fill in. So you've expressed how you want the report to look plug in the variables as you're iterating through a list or something. And now you've ended up with something that looks the way you want it to look with a variety of information in it, depending on the last query you just ran. Yeah. Like, I guess there's better digital analogies. Like if you've, if you've ever used the corporate PowerPoint template, right? It's mm -hmm. the same word yeah. or a word document template, right? There, it's, it's a cookie cutter, stamp it out, Henry Ford approach to making fide high fidelity business ready documents. And, and it's very easy. I don't want people to, to, to I don't want to lose anyone here. It's very easy to do. And, and this is where you're going to have to encounter some programmatic logic to structure these Jinja 2 files. Oh, minor stuff, right. But, but yes, I mean, you're using your Jinja 2 templates in this case to make a CSV, just to remind people where we're going here. That's, um, that, that's what you're doing with it. Am I right? Correct. And, and a markdown if the data is, um, uh, let's say, uh, lends itself to a markdown format. Now, mm -hmm. markdown is just HTML light is one way to look at it. But what I like, if you go to GitHub and read a readme file, it's going to be .md. And it kind of has headers and tables and it looks pretty and it renders nicely in browsers. But it's very lightweight. So uh, what I do is, Ethan, and it's, it's, not, it's not complicated. I have an if statement, and I said, if the item is CSV, then do a section of code, right? It's true. It evaluates to be true through my first loop in Ansible, where it's 
where my template is the CSV file. That's my output. So then I have a header row, which is like host name, comma, serial number, comma, you know, whatever data that I cherry pick from the JSON. I put it in any order that I like in my CSV. Sometimes I'll have to have a for loop for something like interfaces or fans or power supplies, anything that there's, that there's you know, N plus one of, then I need to loop through that and iterate each one of them, creating a row of data in the CSV. You know, it's not magic, right? Now, actually, John, this is, this is a really important point um, because when you get a data set back from JSON, depending on the device, we were talking about this earlier, you might get different aspects of that. One platform might have six fans. One platform might have one. And so to be able to handle that dynamically so that the same template results in readable, usable output is a big deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and, it, and it's, it's that thing of it scales. Like, I don't want to write a different template based on how many switches are in my stack or how many effects connect two Ks are there. You know, I, I, it needs to be universal and agnostic of that. So a for loop handles that for one, one power supply in one, for one power supply in six, for one interface out of a stack of 48, you know, a single blade or up to nine switches in a stack at the access layer, right? I might have to iterate over nine times 48 interfaces, but the data is, it's, it's restful. It's, it's mm -hmm. stateful. It's, it's high fidelity truth, every single run of the playbook, right? So um, to give you a sense, right, let's take a step back. If I were to go into my facts core, folder in my output folders, right? The, the resulting set of data, what is in there for my data center in particular? Well, one, I have all the platform information, serial, hardware, version of software, disk space, used, available, and the license on an NXOS, okay? In a spreadsheet format, automatically mm -hmm. scraped from the JSON. Second is, so there's nine files in total, uh, a list of all the IP on the platform. Now imagine your aggregation layer that hosts all your default gateways like imagine how many interfaces you really have it's not about just the 48 physical interfaces it's about the up to 4,000 svis you can have yeah. it's also up <laughs> yeah. it's also every port channel in my case i have sub interfaces in my case i have tunnel interfaces in my case i have right pim interfaces yeah. for multicast oh i have geez, the loopback okay. interfaces <laughs> This is a list of every interface you can think of. Like I, my data center, I did the raw numbers through CSV is over 4,000. Mm. Over 4,000 in my data center. And I'm a small public sector, you know what I mean? Yeah. Imagine the scale of some of our colleagues' data center, right? Now, what do I have there? I have the Mac. I have whether it's up or down. I have the description. I have the IP address. I have the subnet mask. I have the MTU. Right, like I have mm -hmm. all of this information for all four thousand interfaces in a CSV. I can search, find, filter, whatever. Do you think of this as a source of truth? And and here's the context in which I ask that: unless you're polling basically nonstop and generating new files, you'll always be a little bit behind. Yeah. Um, so, but do you consider these CSVs that you've generated through this process as a source of truth? I, I do, and um. We, we might not get to it today, but what, what I'm implementing is a fully automated 
CI CD pipeline that runs at an interval of, like you said, maybe 30 minutes, maybe 60 minutes, yeah. depending on how long the run rate takes. So I believe, you know, it is a source of truth. The other thing is, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, this is all Git tracked. So I'm not just doing this locally on C John temp, you know, information about the network. This is in a central Git repository that all my staff have access to. It's, it's version and source controlled. I can look at the previous 30 minute run against today's 30 minute run. Ah, oh, three interfaces change from up to down. I wonder what's going on very easily. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now we, we've gone through a, a lot of stuff here. So I want, and, and there are a few people listening to this who haven't had the chance to dabble with automation at all. They're like, I thought you guys said this was going to be easy. There's like, <laughs> oh, you guys are running yeah. through JSON and Jinja 2 and Ansible and all the rest. So let's back up a minute and walk through this again at a high level. Let me just ask you some specific questions. Okay. Ansible, that's straightforward enough server, the Ansible fax modules, the plugins and so on. There's not a ton involved in, I mean, you got to get it off the ground, but once it's there, it's not like you're writing your own fax modules. It's not like you're writing these, you know, fact plugins and so on. You're just leveraging them. Yeah. You know, less than 30 lines of code, Ethan. Yeah. And I'm not, and I'm not trying to, to say that to let people off the hook that this is hard or anything like, like 30 lines in a YAML file. Yeah. Very easy. Um, that probably includes comments. Like it's it's very straightforward because so much of it is prepackaged for you. The facts are prepackaged. They give you a magic variable you reference where those facts get stored. They give you the filters to turn it into JSON or YAML. And then, yeah, you have to write your own template. That's where your involvement, that's where sort of the rubber meets the road between what Ansible will do for you and what you have to sort of take on for yourself is the Jinja templating. But again, if, else, and if, for, and for. That's the end of the road, right? If you can handle those two constructs, you can write a template. I can't believe we haven't mentioned it yet, John, but there's a really good point to make, which is you have a blog post on this uh, on your site. Your site is, give us the URL. Automateyournetwork.ca. Because you're Canadian. Automateyournetwork.ca. So we'll link to this in the show notes that you can find at packetpushers.net. But the title of the episode is Collaboration is the Key to Automation Success, a Genie Success Story. Not that you're going to remember all that. But anyway, there's a link there on automateyournetwork.ca. John has outlined all of this and got screenshots and text of how to configure this. The Jinja 2 templating is in there and so on. So you're not trying to remember all this from listening to this podcast, then make it happen. You know, John's blog post is what we drew most of the show outline from here. And that'll get you a long way in a hurry to making all of what we've been talking about actually happen for you. Well, I appreciate that that shout out. And, um, you know, you can find even more links under the community links that's supposed to be open and, and, and available to all of us to learn from each other. Um, and also reach out to me if you read that blog post and you get 75% of the way there and you need some help with the last mile, you know, send me a tweet. I, I'm happy to help you along. Okay, so like we've made the point that it, it, it felt a little, maybe it felt a little overwhelming as we talked for 30 minutes about a lot of terms that maybe some folks aren't familiar with, but it really isn't that hard. You're mostly leveraging things that are already out there. So, so now let's dive deeper, John. Let, let's jump in um, into even more of what's going on under the hood. And, and one thing I do want to get into is the genie parser, uh, explaining what that thing is. Uh, it's translating show commands that we do at the CLI into JSON. 
Um, give us some more background. We'll talk about my my kind of had a bit of a eureka type moment, but but yes, that's exactly it. It takes um, and there's a web page that's actually searchable, like it's an indexed kind of Google for parsing or available parsers. So I go, what would I like to have a spreadsheet of? Like that earlier request from the sort of non-technical business side of, of my enterprise. Can I get a list of all the interfaces or what? Yes, you can. You go show int status in the parse searcher and what platform? Well, I need it for iOS or I need it for NXOS. So I filter down to the iOS and I go, wow, there it is. Gives me a link, I click on the link, which gives me the schema, the schematics of the JSON it's going to change that show int status command into. Ah, so okay. it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like an API documentation. You know, you ask me this yeah. question, this is what I give you back. Same kind of idea. If you send, if you use this show command, put it through the genie parser, this is the JSON or whatever I'm going to give you back. Bingo, bingo. It's that simple. Yeah, exactly. So here's my story with this tool. I sort of, there's a, there's a C task, which we talked about in the last episode. Love it. And it's a pyramid of tools. The, the, foundational tool is genie the parser we're talking about up a layer in the pyramid is pi ats and um for everyone in the cisco ottawa team i didn't drag it i didn't sound like uh somebody from calgary calling it pi yats and dragging the <laughs> yats because it's not called they've told me multiple times we love listen we love the promotion we love what you're doing with our tools but please don't call it pie yats and drag the <laughs> it's pie ats please okay so i got that right now i've been using this tool as our whole conversation last time i was on right how do i validate the state of my network okay now up a layer is the espresso business front end an API-driven GUI to schedule and coordinate and RBAC and all that, these PI ATS tests. That's where I was. I sort of jumped right into the PI testing. Now, I went for a drive. I 2020 has been pretty rough on everyone. I, you know, like everyone else, it's challenged my mental health. And um, I read something about how faux commuting was helping people in Los Angeles deal with the lockdowns and, and then this whole isolation. Hmm. So... Um, because like for my whole life, I've had to get up, especially since I moved to Ottawa, you know, seven years of commuting, I get up every day, have a coffee, have a shower, get dressed, hop in the car, sit in traffic for an hour, and then do the same thing on the way home, sit in traffic for an hour and get home. Now I don't do this for an hour, <laughs> but I wake up and simulate that, that routine. I get up and I have my coffee and I get dressed and I pretend that I'm going to the office and I go out for a little drive for 10 minutes and come home and then sit in my office at home and work. So during one of these, uh, things. I had this itch in my brain, like I just, things were floating around. I had ideas about JSON. I had the Ansible fax modules working incredibly and making these CSV files. And I sort of pulled the car over because it dawned on me, wait a second, right? I can get JSON back from Ansible fax modules. Okay, that makes sense to me. That knowledge is apparent in my brain. And I can do whatever I want with this JSON. I can make CSVs or Markdown mm -hmm. or even HTML pages, whatever I want with it. Now, I've also written tests in PyATS that use JSON. Where's it getting that JSON from? It's getting it from genie parsing show commands. Mm -hmm. Now, wait a second. Like, I'm really close to something here. 
ha, I can take that parse JSON I get back from my show command and run it through the same, more or less, Jinja2 templates. And now I've answered Bob and Sally's request from finance to get the show inventory command into a CSV file. That's that's like that was just it my I I was so overwhelmed by this kind of it <laughs> dawned on me that I had learned figured something out, right? So let's talk about that a little bit. Okay, let's let's dive into that. I well, okay, the thing that stuck in your head here that I, I really latched onto as you were telling us the faux commute story was hey, if I've got data in JSON, I can kind of do anything I want with it. Right. Think of it like a database. If you've got a database and say you're familiar with SQL because it's been around for everybody's used SQL probably. Yeah. If you've got all these, the structured data sitting in a SQL database with rows and columns and you know how to reference it and do select statements and get data back out of it. Once you've got that data, you can do anything you want with it. JSON is, it's, it's not a database. It's a file structure. It's a representation of data. It's, it's, Again, not a database, but a similar kind of opportunity exists for us here now. Right. So nothing is stopping me, provided there's a parser in the library and there's like hundreds of parsers and they just keep coming out with more and more parsers to the point that I signed up for a parsing newsletter. Let me know. Like I said, my (laughs) JSON mania has completely gripped me where I'm signing up for like RSS feeds for parsing releases, right? Like, uh, anyway, so I can take some high, like, what are your high value commands as a CLI warrior, right? We're all CLI warriors. Well, off the top of my head, show int status, show IP interface brief, show MAC address table, yep. show IP ARP, yep. show ether channel summary, show inventory, uh, I don't know, show environment maybe. It could be something as simple um, as show version, could be some routing show, gates, show IP, OSPF, neighbor, show, yeah, yep, yep. So we all have them. We yes. all have those commands, right? Um, I actually went to operations after I had this going a little bit. I'm jumping ahead in my own timeline. But I said to ops, like, what are you guys doing every day? Like, what command could really help um, the staff of operations operate the network? And one of them right away said, listen, we have so many VLANs and so many trunk ports we actually run show interface trunk occasionally to track down a spanning tree. Is it forwarding on the port and all that mm-hmm. other good stuff that show interface trunk gives you. Okay. Let's hit the parsing database. Hey, they have a parser for that. Here you go in about an hour, like 45 <laughs> minutes, right? I'm refactoring existing code, copy and paste make a few tweaks. There you go. There's show interface trunk as a CSV. And they <laughs> used it that day to track down a VLAN. That's that's the power of this of these tools. It's not just because John thinks it's neat and because it's fun. It's because the business is actually benefiting from these on a day to day, you know, day to day. I think it's important to point out, John, that we've been talking in a Cisco context here. The Genie Parse is a Cisco tool. You've mentioned some other Cisco tools. You've used PyATS, not PyATS, and uh, and so on. But the Genie Parser will parse from other sorts of devices as well, not just Cisco. So I, I was digging through this in preparation for the show. Uh, F5 Big IP, there's a whole bunch of TMOS shell commands there if you're used to working at the, uh, I don't know if they still call it that, but yeah, the TMOS shell. Um, there's a few Linux commands there, not a lot of Linux stuff, but there is a, a few networking related Linux commands in there. 
Juniper Juno's commands, uh, mostly limited to routing and hardware commands, but but quite a number of them, more than I was expecting to see. Uh, and then even a few Nokia SROS commands. Again, not a lot of them, but there, there were a few <laughs> in there as well. The point being, sure, the Genie parser is most extravagantly gifted with Cisco iOS, iOS XR, and so on. But there are uh, there is multi-vendor support in there too, which is pretty cool. It's very cool. And um, like I said, there's every, I don't know, few weeks, it feels like they're just they're just churning out the parsers. The other thing I want to point out, and I wish I had the link for, for your audience, but but it's on YouTube and it's on the 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 Genie Pi ATS Espresso team's feeds and um, how to write your own parser. What if there's a command that isn't available? Wow. Well now I'm, you know, am I SOL? Am I out of luck because Cisco hasn't spoon fed me the parser? It's actually pretty easy to write your own parser as well. And I, you know, I'll kind of leave it at that. I haven't personally done it, oh, but I've looked just, at it, and it's pretty neat, right? It's pretty neat. You got my I find my own command. Yeah, I find my own command that maybe they don't have a parser for, and I write the Python myself, and then I contribute it upstream to the code base, and now my parser is part of the Genie library. Well, you'd it's have very to do a little bit thing. of uh, delimiting of various fields with spaces, some keywords to look for, maybe some regular expressions, and uh, yeah, you end up being able to pull out all the key bits if you get it right, and then put it into that structured data. So yeah, it's nice that you can extend it that way and contribute back to the community in the spirit of open source. Well, there's another parser library that's out there, John, worth mentioning. I don't know if you've worked with it or not, but uh, the guys over at Network to Code offer the NTC underscore templates parser that does pretty similar kind of a thing where uh, you've got the Genie parser giving you back JSON. NTC templates can also do that. I've actually used NTC templates in some of my Python scripts to feed a show command in, get it back structured data by running it through the NTC underscore templates parser. I don't know if you've worked with it or not, but... Uh, I just thought it worth raising that. No, I, I'm, you know, that's part of why I I, uh, I like being involved in the community is because I I learn as well. Like I, I there's so much out in the landscape, and I'm very familiar with the network to code team, and I um, think mm -hmm. they just do such incredible work, and uh, and they're very open with their work as well. So I'm going to, you know, this will be something I'm going to take away is 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 looking at their parsers and their templates, and if anyone on that team wants to reach out to me. And, uh, you know, show me how it's done or give me a crash course. Again, I'm out there on Twitter. So, so check out their templates and parsers as well. I'm going to have to take a look at that. What I don't know is if you're calling the Genie parser from within Ansible. I don't know that you can or can't do that with the NTC underscore templates. I just haven't spent enough time to figure that part out. I happen to be calling it from a native Python script and you know importing it as a library to do that parsing for me, which actually leads me to another question, John. Now, let's say I want to put on my skeptic hat. I could say, John, you're using Ansible for all of this, but with Python and a couple of libraries and about 10 lines of code, because I actually checked a script that I'd written that does something kind of similar to what you're doing, I can pull off a similar result where I am issuing a show command, parsing the output, and then getting back JSON, and then going from there. Um, is this a case of there's a right or a wrong way to do it. You should pick one uh, that's the best because, of course, we always have the best. Or is it these each have their own use cases? What are your thoughts here? I, I'm glad you bring this up. So I, um, 
I'm certainly not going to criticize anyone for using Python, <laughs> writing their own Python code, right? I, I would never do that. Um, for my particular organization and use case and maturity level and number of people that can code or write, you know, develop software and have a network engineering uh, background, it's quite limited. So I agree with you that there's no right way. And I don't, you know, my book's not called The Right Way to Automate Your Network. It's just called Automate Your Network, right? So I'm not, I'm not, uh, it, I may come across as a, a, uh, an Ansible evangelist, and I am because that's been my greatest success. I have written my own parsers, like we talked about, in Python as well. So I've extended that. My Jinja templating is Pythonic code. So I'm actually kind of doing a bit of both. But um, I think that where I really think the value is, I, this discussion comes up a lot. And I've had people, I don't know, not too many, but the odd troll kind of, oh, I do Nornir and you're still stuck with Ansible. And hey, good for you. That's awesome, right? Like, but it doesn't mean that my way is wrong or that it's any less sophisticated than, than Python. So I think the real discussion is the perceived pros and the perceived cons between a domain-specific language, such as Ansible, and a true programming language like Python or Java or C++ or JavaScript or Rust or Go, like a full-formed programming language with its own libraries and object structure and syntax and whatever, versus something with guardrails like Terraform or Ansible or, right? Like there's certain parameters that I can't go outside of with Ansible. And I like the training wheels that there's only one way to write a YAML file. Do you know what I mean? How many different <laughs> ways is there to express Pythonic code? Even just the syntax of how you indent. Is it two or four spaces or a tab? Okay, let's get over that discussion <laughs> before we even start writing the code. There's none of that with Ansible. Oh, this, now, this, I'm, again, I'm, I'm, I, I don't want to sound defensive, but that, that's why I'm where I am and haven't, say, thrown out all my Ansible and, and moved to pure Python, right? So no, that, there, that's, I, that's I asked you I a leading about. question. I, I really did. I mean, we kind of had both you know, conversed through a Google Doc before the show and kind of both knew we were coming from the same page here. Yeah. Sure, I can write something in Python and come up with a similar result. That's true. Done it. But um, Ansible is a, a different approach that there's nothing, it's just a different way to go about it. You got to think about it in terms, not just of well, the right way or the best way or the coolest way or the most engineering oriented way. What is the most supportable way? What is the way that your team can all get behind and comprehend and use and use reliably and predictably and build a workflow around and document clearly your crappy Python code? Uh, yeah, you can get there if you really document it carefully and, and so on. And, uh, you really keep up well with what that script is doing as you tweak it and modify it and update it and so on. But if you have a, a product like Ansible, it gets way more straightforward to use that tool because it has guardrails, because it behaves in a predictable way, because there's lots of training material out there behind the product, because there's a huge community that uses it in a particular way that will provide good context and make sense, as opposed to a language like Python that's used for everything from complex data science and astronomy to the nerdy stuff we're doing with infrastructure. It's all over the place, and it's a programming language. You don't have that context around it in the same way, unless you happen to run into the right group of people, as you would with an Ansible. So it's not a choice of right or wrong. It's what fits best into your organization. 
uh, Ansible has had a lot of success in IT for, I think, this reason. It fits in really well. To be fair and balanced, I think that you're going to trade off a little bit of performance or quite a bit of performance and, and granular control. That's what you're giving up if you say, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a product like Ansible. You're giving up a slight bit of con granular control and you're accepting a little bit of performance um, degradation over raw nor near Python or, or however you, uh, you know, pure programmatic language yep. is definitely going to be faster. It's definitely going to let you really get in there with the knobs and tune things and get down deep. I agree with that, right? But, but, but you've just made another fantastic point, though, John, which is <laughs> the right tool for the for a particular job. Okay, so if I have a performance concern, that might imply I've got several hundred or several thousand devices with their multiplied dozens, hundreds, thousands of interfaces per device that I need to be gathering information about. And maybe Ansible can't scale to that particular requirement that I have it. In that case, I have to write something in, in Python that can do uh, async and so on very well and very efficiently for me so that I can get that data back in a timely fashion. It, it's, it's, again, it's not about right or wrong uh, necessarily. It's about, well, what's the problem I'm trying to solve? And if Ansible can't solve it, then it maybe it is the wrong tool for you in that specific case. And you do have to do another thing, as you pointed out. Yeah, I, so some people, I, I've been labeled with this, and I'm okay with it, that, uh, you know, well, you know, every problem looks like a nail to this guy because he's got a hammer. You know, I, <laughs> you I, get, I get labeled with that. I get labeled with it. I get labeled with that online and in the office and everywhere I go. That you know, he's he's a one trick pony. The guy knows Ansible and he's written a book and you know, good for him, right? But he all he does is whack at things with Ansible like a big giant hammer, and everything is a nail. My, I I have a slight adjustment. If you're going to criticize me, I look at it like a Swiss Army knife. And yes, knife is in the title, and its primary tool is a knife. Like I would argue Ansible's primary tool is for network automation, configuration management. But on a Swiss Army knife, I can also pull off the prong and uncrew, unscrew a wine bottle if I need to. Now, it's not a corkscrew. They don't call it suddenly a Swiss Army corkscrew. It's a Swiss Army knife, and I peel off the corkscrew tool. Now, is a more expensive, dedicated corkscrew better than the little prong off the yes of course it is but it's that multi-pronged utility of a swiss army knife that makes it a swiss army knife when the compute team comes along and says i want a database like you've done for the network um i you know what i do i copy and paste my yaml playbook i replace some values instead of the ios mm -hmm. fax module now i'm using the setup module and now i have windows servers in json and now i have windows servers in csv files <laughs> In a couple of clicks, in like 20 yeah. minutes, I've converted the network automation to compute automation. Ah, we need to, we, I want the same data for Amazon. Like this spirals, okay? People, it, it, it really steamrolls. Can we get every access control list in JSON? Yeah, <laughs> done, no problem. Uh, can I do the ASAs? Can I do the uh, Azure Web Services or AWS or my solid fire storage? Yes, I can do all of it in a couple of clicks with a couple of simple tools, JSON, Pyats, or uh, JSON, Jinja, Ansible, right? Now, do I want 30 tools on my shelf? I have my corkscrew, right. I have my, my nail right. file, I have my fingernail clippers, I have my knife, I have a better knife, I have a smaller knife. Or do you want 
a Swiss Army knife with all of that stuff built in, and you just pull the prong that you need, given the circumstance, right? So that's defense of John being called the one trick pony guy. I, I agree with you. Yes, I'm not a, I can write some Python, but I prefer the, the guardrails and the safety and my efficiency and my capability with Ansible. So that, that's to address that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to Jinja 2, John. We've, uh, we've okay. kicked the, the Ansible versus scripting versus a lot of other things in the head. And there's some other shows we've done on heavy networking that talk about this in more detail about building systems versus if you're just building a bunch of scripts, that's not a system unless you really make it one, which is a lot of work, which is why maybe you want to buy a, a system that can help you with all of this stuff, more like an Ansible or going even higher up with some of these uh, more complex management tools, we could call them somewhere between intent-based software to find and so on. But John, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk okay. about a question I've got for you regarding your Jinja 2 templating. In the example we discussed in this show, we dump data to a CSV file. It's got a header row and it's you know delimited with commas in that way that we can then bring it in and look at it in a spreadsheet and manipulate the data. Wonderful. We all know what CSVs are. We've used them. What else could I do with that Jinja2 template? I don't want to output it to a CSV because reasons. I want to output it to right. something else. So could I like write to a SQL database or I don't know. That's what I'm curious about. It's a good question. And um, I, what I use it so far to do is to template, you know, my CSV, we've talked about it, a markdown file and an HTML file uh, in an interactive mind map. So the J2 can create, you know, a .xl file, a .doc file, a .html file. I, I don't know if possibly you could run data through a Jinja2 template and then feed that data through to your SQL database. I know what I, another, you know, more configuration management thing I've used Jinja2 for is to template JSON. So I know my API needs to receive a certain structure of JSON, right? So from an intent-based, you know, uh, uh, a, a data model, I get my data from the data model, run it through a Jinja2 template to set up a valid JSON body, and then attach that as a body to a post or a put to an API. Sure. Okay. So I have yep. used it in that direction as well. The common point here is that the outputs are all text in some way. That seems to be the, the commonality. So it, it is an open-ended question because you and I just don't happen to know whether you could do write to something other than text like, like SQL or something like that. Although as I'm kind of going through it in my mind, it's like, that feels like it would exceed the scope of what Jinja 2 is intended to do, perhaps, that maybe you'd want to, you know, there'd be some other tool that would do that translation for you that would specialize in talking to a time series database or a SQL database or or something else. Right. Like if I play it through my mind, I think what I may use is another filter, which is called JSON query in Ansible. Query my JSON. And then the response from those queries, I would feed into my SQL upstream. Yep. Yep, yep, that yep. might be an approach. But, um, you know, here's the magic, and it's really not magic, right? It, it's, it's pretty simple stuff. In, you know, in step one in the template, um, I, I first check which iteration of the loop I'm on. And if it's a CSV, again, I template CSV. Then I have an else statement. And everything after the else, because it's Boolean, means it has to be marked down. Mm -hmm. So for my CSV, I have one row, which is comma separated, my, my column headers, 
And in the markdown, I have three header rows, an index, and then the, the markdown formatting, right? It's sort of like comma separated, but they use pipes to separate it, and they have a delimiter that you need. And then, you know, within that, I do simple for loops, you know, for interface in Ansible facts dot interfaces. Okay, so for each one of those interface, add a row of data to the markdown or the CSV, cherry picking the fields, the key value pairs, host name, timestamp, serial mm -hmm. number, interface ID, whatever it is, into that data that I'd like to, to have. You, um, you've just led into another, it's a trivial thing, but one of those things until you've been there before, maybe it seems a little obscure. We've talked about files in JSON and key value pairs. So when I'm trying to get a specific field out of a JSON file uh, within my Jinja template, how do I refer to that data? Is there some nomenclature or something that uh, that I feed into Jinja so that it knows what exactly I'm looking for in the JSON structure? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. So to tie it, what ties it all together is the um, is the Ansible.cfg file. Okay, so that's an Ansible config file that sits in the folder where your Ansible playbooks live, and in there, there's a line that points to roles. Okay, where your Ansible roles are. So I have a roles folder, and then you know if it's the core, the data center, right? I have a hierarchical structure, and in that roles folder, I have a templates folder where my J2 files live. So that when I run my playbook, Ansible knows, ah, he's using the template module. I need to go into this roles core templates subfolder to find the J2 file that I then am able to access the Ansible facts JSON magic variable, mm -hmm. right? So uh, an example of a line might be, I, I alluded to interfaces. If I could do it, actually, it would be, you know, for interface. Now interface could be X. That's how I was brought up to write code is to make it, you know, instead of saying for X and Y or for J in S or, right? Mm -hmm. Like I actually say, for interface, which is, you know, that could be, that's arbitrary, right? That could be for whatever. Now, if it's my power supply loop, I'm going to say for power supply. If it's my fan loop, I'm going to say for fan, right? Make it readable code. In, in what? For fans in what? In Ansible underscore facts, mm -hmm. the magic variable dot, you know, net underscore fans or whatever the JSON key is there so, so the, okay then there, there's the magic right there the uh, whatever the yes. json key is yeah correct and then ethan you just pick and choose your keys yep in whatever order makes sense to you in terms of business logic and then you uh you know you assemble your your file and away you go now i mentioned markdown there and i mentioned you could template html i've actually found a little cheat and i just want to mention this a little shortcut from any valid markdown file, MD, if it, if it adheres to markdown syntax and there's a VS Code linter you can get to help you write, you know, valid markdown. There's a Node.js. Now we're really talking about programmatic stuff here. It's a, it's a library that called MarkMap. Okay, now the MarkMap, they have a web page. You should go check it out. It transforms valid markdown into an interactive meaning you can, you can zoom, zoom in, zoom out, collapse, expand, um, HTML page. So it's the same sort of structure of data, right? Um, you know, a, a header row. But in this mind map, it, it has a leaf tree type thing that you can click and zoom and collapse. 
I just find it an interesting way to represent the data. Like I, I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's a better format than CSV or anything. My Gen Z staff, they love this mark mind map <laughs> format. It's interactive. <laughs> they can point, click, and screenshots, and it's color coded, and they mm-hmm. love it. They love it. I get, I'm a little more old school. Give me this. Give me the raw data and a CSV file, please. Right. But because it's one extra step in my playbook, you know, why not? Why not just manipulate that data one more time, run it through a different Instagram filter and say, give me an interactive HTML mind map of that JSON data. So I think that's a neat little utility. It's all in those blog posts you mentioned earlier. Um, So now at the end of the day, what do I have, right? For each piece of information, like a show command, show interface facts, show interface status, you name it, probably 30 or 40 commands. I actually have the raw JSON, the raw YAML, a CSV file, a markdown file, and an interactive HTML mind map. So now I have this source of truth you mentioned earlier with the data represented in five or six different ways, depending on the consumer, right? A developer might want the JSON, an operator might want the YAML, HR might want the spreadsheet, uh, the Gen mm. Z hipster might want the mind map, right? Well, it depends on the, the use case there, right? So I guess the magic then becomes having in all of those formats the sort of data that you want, because one of the, I don't know, constraints, I guess, of the what we're doing here is you're issuing a show command, pulling back that results of that specific show command. So I guess maybe a good way to close off the show, John, would be to inspire folks with other clever ideas that are low risk like this, because we're just going out to the network and running show commands. We're not changing anything, but then they're high value because we're getting that data back. Um, you, you, you've given these examples of, of like show interface and all the different statuses, and then show me what VLANs are carried on a particular VLAN trunk. Have you had been, been inspired by other clever thoughts? Yeah. So here's the most popular post I've, I've, I've kind of promoted on my blog series has been about, and this is not going to be surprising, contractual information. Everybody wants to know, are you under contract? Do you have an SLA? Right? Do you have oh, support? Oh, I read this post of yours. Yes, this is very cool. Yes, yes, yes. So what I'm doing is, and I'm, I'm connecting a few other dots to what we've already done. So I can do what? Show inventory. No problem. I have it in JSON. Okay, what's one of those keys? The serial number. Okay, Cisco.com has a serial number to info API. So now at scale, not only for every device, every part on every device, because remember, show inventory is going to give you your supervisors, your SFPs, your blades, your power supplies. I get all those serial numbers and I feed them to the API. Then what does the API give me back, right? What am I gripped by? JSON mania. I get the (laughs) JSON back from the API that says, yes, that particular supervisor and that particular chassis is covered for four more years and you have 24-7 support on it. And here's the particular contract it's associated with in JSON. And what do you think I do with that? I make a CSV out of it. So now I have a CSV file for every part down to this SFP on my network, okay? Tens of thousands of parts in one big file. Are they all under contract, under support? When do they expire? When's the end of life, right? So that's one of the inspiring things I'm doing. 
kind of neat you follow along here yeah yeah that's very cool no and well because that was it's an eternal problem right is this device covered oh no did we do the stupid game of ensure one of them with smart net so that we could get the code updates but not cover the other 50 that are on the network right uh, you know etc yeah being able to automate and know very quickly what serial numbers are covered and what aren't that's just yep. incredibly valuable yeah and um you know, there's other APIs. We're doing the same thing with a recommended release. So there's a recommended release API. So again, I have the JSON of the platform, the PID, right? So that API takes the part ID or the PID. I have that as a JSON field. Why don't I just send it up to the API? And what's the API give me back? It's feeding my JSON mania again. And I get the <laughs> JSON back that says, oh, you're running a 4500. The gold star release is 3.6.1. Oh, and now what else do I have in my JSON? The current running version. Okay, so now I have a CSV file that says hostname, current installed version, Cisco Gold Star version in one spreadsheet at scale, right? So um, the other thing is I just, let's take a real step back. What have I gathered? What have I created? What's, what is the source of truth? It's a bunch of text files. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's not magic. It's a bunch of text files. That's all it is. What can I do with text files? I can at a folder level or file level, search for network-based artifacts. Like how many times has someone come to you with a Mac, a server name, an IP address, and said, can yep. you pinpoint this device in the tens of thousands of interfaces we have? Sure I can. I hit Control F, I paste in the Mac they're looking for, I hit Enter, and it comes back and says, yeah, this Mac is on this, in this Excel file called Show Interfaces Parsed on Switch 10 in Building 4. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, one click away, which is just I, I I love that you bring this up because oh it's got to have a sexy GUI with a you know natural language right, processing right. search engine and it's got to have a full database on the back end that I can distribute and no it actually doesn't for basic functionality if what you you can use operating system level kind of stuff the file system search through the contents of the files in this file system if you've structured it well. It's a rudimentary database, uh, effectively, what you're ending up with. Yeah, yeah. So again, you know, Max, routes, AC, whatever you've transformed from JSON into even just raw JSON. Let's say you don't do these extra steps of CSVs and all that. A file find is still going to catch that route, MAC address, whatever it is you've done the file find for, right? So, um, so Ethan, let's, if, if, if you haven't watched the last episode, what I recommend you do is watch this episode first. And then go back and watch <laughs> our previous discussion, which maybe is a little more grounded in some of what, the things we've talked about today. Yeah, the, the previous because, episode you know, being uh, 545 that we mentioned at the top of the show, the one yeah, uh, achieving yeah. automated network state validation. So if you listen to that one and it kind of was like, yeah, no, I wasn't getting it. And now you've listened to this one. Now maybe go back and listen to 545 again and see if more of what uh, John took us through in that episode makes sense to you. So, John, you've been very active on social media, blogging, and so on. Lately, you have a book. Please tell people all the things about how to follow you on the internet, how to read your blog and get your book, et cetera. Yeah, so I appreciate this time. And, and um, again, I've tried to set up, you know, I didn't use my name for a reason. I tried to use automateyournetwork.ca as sort of a new central hub, a new presence on the internet for network, all things network, and all things automation and net infrastructure as code. So um, it started as, you know, a place for me to put our, our previous podcast. I'd like to have people have a, an easy place to go find 
um, all of these things that we talk about. So there's links to the book. There's my, um, my history. If you're curious, how did he get here? Like, where did this guy come from? Well, I show you, I started with an A plus certification. Okay. Like it's not, I've worked my <laughs> way up from A plus to N plus and the whole deal. But that's a big question I get is how do you become this senior network type person? Well, my history is there. Okay. So my cert history is there. My employment history is there. Um, I'm on Twitter, very, very active on Twitter, um, very active on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm open and encouraged to, to come and connect with me. I am working on, it's been a bit delayed because of kind of the, the stress and pressure of the world we live in, but I am slowly chipping away at a follow-up book about um, what we talked about today, my JSON mania. No, no, the book's <laughs> not about JSON mania. It's about uh, APIs for infrastructure. So yes, taking you know Ansible and APIs and JSON and, and doing what we talked about today. Great stuff as someone who has worked on a book before as a co-author and uh, has had some other book ideas that I've worked on. Um, they're really hard. So I, if you see it through and am able to make it, are able to make it to publication, John, uh, my very best to you. Again, all the links will be in the show notes here at packetpushers.net. As you can tell, John's got a lot of resources for you, uh, much of which is absolutely free. Some of which, hey, the man wrote a book. It's hard. Go buy his book. Okay. Anyway, I do hope that you enjoyed this technical podcast. It's, it's really aimed at all you folks that are out there. We know you're network engineers. That's that's who you are and what you do day by day. So share this with your friends. Tell everybody. We really, really appreciate that. Hey, call your mom right now. Walk her through how to subscribe to, uh, to heavy networking. And then when she's all signed up, you can tell her about the free as in money and free as in marketing Slack group available to anyone in the networking community. That's packetpushers.net slash Slack. Read the rules. Some of you are signing up and not reading the rules and then getting kicked off because you didn't pay the rules. Packetpushers.net slash Slack and then sign up once you've read those rules. And you're going to be in good company there. About 1,500 network engineers from all over the world. They're hanging out, talking shop and helping each other solve hard problems. I was actually in there this morning. And there was a discussion about how to troubleshoot poor performance across an IPv6 network. It was, you know, one of those things, everybody helping each other out, chipping in with ideas and stuff. And uh, and that's what's going on in there. Again, it's all free. There's no tricks here. Just packetpushers.net slash slack and go sign up. By the way, if you only listen to heavy networking, which is what this show is, you, you do have great taste. I admit that. But you are missing out on some uh, else, uh, some of the other things that we have to offer. So visit our subscribe page on packetpushers.net and see our entire lineup of technical podcasts created for your professional career development. Follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. Every time we release a show, the automation engine goes into full steam and uh, you're going to see the new shows that we've published all there on Twitter at Packet Pushers. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>